Welcome back, everyone, to the latest episode of Survive HR. We're so happy you are choosing to join us today. We're so excited. We have we have two cool guests in the room. Before we get to that, I want to introduce my co-host, who's looking at me like, what? I'm not here. My co-host. You just wish I wasn't here. I know. <laughs> hey, hey, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi, How are you? I'm doing great. In fact, I'm having a lot of fun today. Today is a great day. Great well, day to be alive. That's excellent. And I'm glad to be in here with you. You're oh, not wow. even irritating me nearly as much as you usually do. <laughs> oh, that's a conversation for a different day. <laughs> All right. So back to business. We are here joined by two good friends of mine now, Chad and Andy from Proactive Response Group. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks for good to be here. We're so excited you guys are here. So when I started this podcast, you were one of, you were two, one of the, one of the like first companies I wanted to have on because, so we'll let them talk about their company in a second, but I, I was an HR trainer for many years, You're not right? a very good one, I might add. Well, thank you. And I'll tell you, I've been in trainings and I've done trainings and the majority of the time, eyes are rolling behind the head. And people are asleep on the table or they're playing on their phones or they're playing on their computers or they're doing something else besides listening to training. No matter, no matter how good a trainer you are. This was the first training in my entire career. And I've been to amazing trainings. And I've been to some really bad ones. This is the first training in my entire career where I was like eating out of their hands the entire time. I was like, oh my God, tell me more, <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. Um, it was... So, so we did active shooter training at my company with, with, um, Andy and Chad and it was, it was the only training where four hours just disappeared on me and I, I wanted more, I wanted more, I wanted more, I wanted more. And that was 1000% the unanimous opinion. They went on, they went on a road show to every single one of our divisions over 1400 lives. Every single one of our employees had the same opinion and, um, that was just amazing. And we're rolling it out to our hourly folks now. We're doing an online thing now. So enough about that. I want I want them to that's tell like, you more about their like company. That's the best endorsement I've ever heard you give anybody in my life. I like them. I'm excited. I like it. I'm excited about you. I like them. They, like, taught me how to pack a wound. It was, like, serious stuff. All right. So, so guys, introduce yourselves. Tell me about your business. Yeah. So, uh, Chad Ayers, uh, myself and Andy started the company probably five years ago. And the way we got started is we came from a law enforcement background. We were assistant team leaders on a SWAT team, and we were tasked with creating an active shooter curriculum for a large agency. But through that, what we realized, kind of fast forward a few few years later, is that we aren't the first line of defense in law enforcement. Law enforcement's coming. EMS is coming. Fire's coming in an active shooter event. But you guys, the civilians, are actually the first line of defense in an active shooter situation. They're the first ones who can positively affect the outcome if and when an event was to take place in the workplace or your school or your church. So we developed a civilian model of this, which empowers people with effective response options um, how to, on how to survive. And we're, we're not a fear-based company. We're strictly here to empower you. Because what we saw is there's so many just terrible training models out here that um, this is a topic that, now you can no longer just brush under the table and say, ah, we don't want to talk about this. Th- these events are happening at alarming rates. And, you know, kind of like Kelly was saying, so many people come in and just want to kind of check a box on this topic. And we don't want to do that. We want to provide effective training where people leave there with some with some skills and some tools in their toolbox that they know if it does happen, they can win it and go home to see their families at the end of the night. One of the things that I thought was most fascinating 
was, you know, you think, you know, God forbid there's an active shooter situation in anybody's workplace or in anyone's day life or a- anything any in, in their life. But you think that you pick up the phone and you call 911 and they're coming to help you. And I think one of the most fascinating things they said, and I guess I should have known this but never thought it, was they're not coming in that building. You know, you could have bleeding people. I mean, so so 911 is going to come help, but their first job is to secure the building or secure the site. You could have people dying in front of you. EMS is not walking in that building. And I just, I think about this and I think about, oh my word, like, you know, you just think like, you know, you call 911, the ambulance comes, they come and they save people. That's not happening. So this was definitely the first time where I was like, oh, we're, we're, we're kind of by ourselves. Well, we we got to figure this out ourselves. You know, in today's world, I mean, it, you can, it doesn't take long. I mean, it, in, in there's not a cop standing on every corner uh, that can be there in a couple of minutes. I mean, you could be talking 10, 15 minutes before you really get enough response there to do something. So, yeah, you better have a plan because you can't count on somebody else, okay? What, what kind of um, – what, what can you give us as far as tips go and how how our listeners could best prepare for uh, this uh, any kind of horrific situation like this? The first thing is to have a plan. You kind of mentioned that, that you want to have a plan. And if you don't have a plan beforehand, the stress of being shot at in your workplace is going to cause you to make some very bad decisions. So we want to make sure that you have a plan, and that plan includes effective options for you. There's no way we can give you a checklist that says X, Y, Z is what you're supposed to do, but you need to have options and you need to be empowered by those options to make a choice in the circumstances you find yourself in. They're all going to be different. Even in the same office, in the same shooting, everybody needs to do something that individually makes sure they're going to survive. And it has to be geared around that survival. Everything that you do has to be geared around survival. And so is there a, is there some sort of a, a methodology to this. So what we use is we use a, a, a term, recognize, respond, and survive. And so the big thing is we got to realize, too, that there are a lot of training models out there for how this stuff is trained. A lot of them miss a couple of very core principles that will make sure that you do survive. And one of those is recognizing the threats before they are actually a threat. There are some signs, especially in the HR world, that y'all can look for that will lead to you knowing, all right, we've got a problem with this employee. We've got a problem with this employee that we terminated. And here's what we can do as an organization to build awareness and then to make sure that if something does go wrong, we've got pieces in place to make sure we can deal with that. So that's the recognize piece. The respond piece is is pretty simple. Um, There are not a thousand different options that you have out there. Uh, We always teach that the main thing that you want to do is survive, and the best way to do that is to get out. If you can get out, if you can get away from where the violence is taking place, you survive every time. And then, obviously, there could be some times where you can't get out, and what do you do, and how do you do it effectively? And then once the shooting stops, how do you survive that? And that's one of the biggest pieces that we bring that nobody else does. We teach you how to use some very simple medical equipment. And if you don't have that medical equipment, how to improvise with stuff that you have to save your life or the lives of others. In every active shooter event, there are people that would be alive today if they knew some simple skills on how to do that. Yeah, can I ask, and Kelly, I wanted to, to throw this kind of your way or our way uh, to the first point that was made, and that is you typically have signs, okay? So I know you've worked in some plants uh, that were uh, 
somewhat questionable. And uh, I've been around some folks uh, in, in my career as well that you think are problems. So I always took a pretty hard line with it because it's just like anything. I mean, if you, 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 you kind of take care of it as quickly as possible. As, and, and so I did not give a whole lot of personally a whole lot of benefit of the doubt to people that I thought were a threat to the workforce. Uh, I don't know that that's typically the case with most people, but because they're concerned about legal liabilities and, and that sort of thing. But I care more personally about what could be. So if somebody was making a threat or intimating some sort of a threat, I would take care of it uh, pretty more harshly maybe than most people would. But I don't what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that we – you always – you take every threat – very seriously and you investigate every threat very seriously i think my my biggest challenge has never been the ones that are like hey i'm going to shoot you right so i'm like okay well i'm you're going to shoot me later because i'm going to fire you today right like so we're gonna we're gonna you're gonna escort you out it's never that clear the areas that i have a bigger struggle with are those those ones that you're I'm not so sure what's going to happen here. Something's off here. Something's not right here. Someone's being withdrawn. Someone is, you know, though that's when you, I didn't know such a thing existed, but I learned about a psychological fitness for duty and ensuring you're doing psychological fitness for duties on people that may not necessarily be safe for your workplace. And, and honestly may not be bad. People may need some assistance outside of work before something escalates. Um, that's probably where I've had my biggest struggle is, is there something here or isn't there something here? Yeah, it, I, I tell you that, that I had a, an employee one time that made threats in a sense to another person uh, several years ago. And I told, I, I, we, we terminated the person. I wasn't going to, we just terminated the person. Mm-hmm. We went and worked for another company. They did not check with us to, uh, to see what kind of an employee was or anything like that. At that next plan he worked in, uh, he got ang- became angry, went into the HR office and pulled a gun and tried to shoot the HR uh, manager. And uh, fortunately, the HR manager flipped the desk up and pushed him up against the wall and disarmed him. But he could have been dead because of that. Holy smokes. And what you were kind of talking about, Kelly, one of the things that we really encourage throughout our training process is that you create a culture where people are willing to report concerning behaviors and that as HR, you can't be everywhere all the time. So you only have so many eyes, but there are a hundred, a thousand, five thousand other employees out there that if they know what signs to look for and then who to tell about those signs, a lot of this stuff can be stopped from the very beginning. And it's just not they don't know the signs to look for, but they're not comfortable going to HR, going to their supervisor, or following the process to report it, and so it never is told. A horrible example of that was Virginia Beach. There was a lady that worked there in that uh, government building, and they did have a reporting procedure. Uh, obviously, she wasn't comfortable in using it, and the, the Monday after that shooting, I saw an interview with her brothers, and they said that she would come home on a regular basis and say, this guy at work, he's creepy. He's socially awkward, and I'm afraid he's going to hurt somebody at work, but she never told anybody at work. And then he, that guy she was worried about killed her in that shooting that day. That's so sad. I mean, it's so sad, and it's so, it's so real, right? It's, it, and it's, it's a fine line that HR professionals 
walk between, hey, am I being over dramatic? Is this person just having a bad day or do they need help? Or am I really looking at a threat in the workplace? And as HR people, we're typically the people that are firing people. And, you know, it's always easy. No one's going to be mad at you when you're calling them and making them a phenomenal job offer. But when you're terminating them or disciplining them, you're you could get yourself into some hot water. Um, I've had two circumstances at work where I've been afraid for my safety. Um, and unfortunately it's just been two, but I probably had 15 where I questioned what was going on. Um, your training is so different and it's not, I, I, uh, I remember asking, I think it, it was Chad or Andy. I was like, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hide. I'm small enough. I can hide in the cabinet and it'll be fine. I think it was Chad that came back and was like, and they're going to open the cabinet and they're going to shoot you in the head. And I was like, okay, well I'm not going to hide in the cabinet <laughs> anymore. Um, tell us about some of the things you guys do different in your training. That one right there is the biggest. Uh, there's some training models out here that tell you in an active shooter event, silence your cell phone, get into your desk, be real quiet, turn the lights off. Those are terrible ideas. Those are not if the gunman makes it into your office and you're sitting under your desk, you're done. We call them active shooters to be politically correct, but they're active murderers. They're here to take as many lives as they can in a short amount of time as possible. Your desk isn't going to stop a bullet. They're not going to look down at you and say, oh, you watch, you, you, know, you watch that video on active shooters. I'm not going to shoot you. We are here to empower you to be a survivor. And victims hide under their desk, and you're not a victim. You're a survivor. So, again... I like the idea. These things, the, these shooters come in thinking they're in charge because they have that gun. If I can't get out like Andy talked about, I'm going to barricade my office as quickly as I can, and I'm going to be right by that door. And if he comes in, he's going to be hit with so much force and aggression from me um, that he's not anticipating that. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that, and this is probably a sensitive issue for employers, but oh no, but I, a track record tonight. But I actually. Uh, I have. I, I'm reassured by it, and and but I want to ask your opinion. Uh, what about having people within your workplace that are actually armed? And I can tell you that, you know, when you go to if, if I don't worry about going, I, I go to a large mega church, effectively. So we have thousands of people there every every Sunday, and uh, do I worry about getting shot at church? Well. Yeah, but I think that the shooter would be dropped. You know, I'd probably be the only one because there's going to be people that are armed that you don't know that are armed, and it's the same thing at the university. There are people, professors, there are people that ha that are armed at all times, and uh, with concealed carry, have been trained. We even have uh, a, 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 a police officer on the side that uh, is one of the professors. They're always armed. And to me, that is an I, I prefer that. I feel comfort in knowing that that it's not a, a, a gun free zone. So Chad and I obviously coming from the background that we do, we are big gun people for 12 years of my life. I had a gun on my hip everywhere I went. It was part of my life. But also in our jobs in law enforcement, one of the things that we did was we trained every deputy how to use deadly force when to use it, and we did that with live rounds on the range, and then we got to see them after they were involved in a shooting. And one of the things that we found is no matter how hard you try, that amount of stress is impossible to duplicate. And 
the idea of people carrying a gun in a workplace that has hundreds of people, 20 people, 10 people, that they have not gone through a level of training that gets them to be able to deal with that stress is most of the time going to be more of a risk than it is a benefit when the bullets actually start flying. Can they hit what they're aiming at? And are they aiming at the right thing? Can they make a good decision under that amount of stress? It's way too much for us as, as an employer to place that responsibility on somebody whose primary job is not enforcing the law. And I think kind of to follow up on that, you're talking about someone that's going through immediately probably the most stressful day of their life, the most stress their body's ever encountered. You've got someone going through your workplace murdering people. And now as chaotic as that is, think about like an industrial site where you've got multiple people on the floor and they're running back and forth. I can tell you this. There's there's different studies out there, but deputies or law enforcement officers that are involved in shootings, their hit ratio goes down to somewhere, some people say as low as like 14% I've seen hit ratio because your heart's going 1,000 miles a minute and all these different, you know, movements and stuff, uh, moving target. Now you've got someone in your workplace that's armed and yanks the trigger and shoots your front desk lady under stress. Now we've opened ourselves up to a whole nother bit of liability. So... There are other ways to stop that shooter um, with improvised weapons or just the biggest thing here, guys, is power and numbers. The majority of these are solo gunmen. As a solo gunman, I can only shoot one person at a time. And I always go back and talk about United Flight 93 on 9-11. Where two guys said, let's roll. We're, we're, we're not going down. We're not without a fight. And so in our class, we teach how do we use our numbers to the advantage. I assure you, with the number of people that are just in this room right now doing this podcast, if a guy came through that door, we could end that. I don't care if he has a rifle, shotgun, or pistol. As soon as that door opens up and we see a gun with seven, eight people that jump up and dive on him, we end this really quickly. I think one of the things that you said that was really fascinating was we had all of these people, and we did our training. We had all of these people in a room, and I, of course, was trying to hide in a cabinet, so that was not effective. But what you said was when the gunman comes in, has a, has a four-year-old ever been hung to your leg? And this was just something that stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, my kids hang on me all the time. And it's kind of like them dragging them around. They're like, what happens when 15 people are hanging to your legs? And I was like, yes, that's the point right there. Um, So I think that uh, another thing that you teach in this training that is just so fascinating is, you know, what to, what to do if, if something happens and you've got people who are bleeding and you really, I had to, I had to use a tourniquet on myself um, I had to learn how to use a tourniquet on myself, which I thought was fascinating. Um, we learned a couple of different things. Tell us about that. So we know that in every one of these attacks, there are people that could have been saved if they had just stopped their bleeding or somebody had rendered some very simple aid to them. And so we come in and we teach you how to use a tourniquet. We teach you where they go, and we help people understand that they're safe. There's a common misconception out there that if you put a tourniquet on your arm or your leg, you're going to lose that limb or you're going to have nerve damage, and that's absolutely not true. So we make sure that you're comfortable in using it, that you know how to use it. We actually go hands-on, and everybody gets to apply it to themselves. And then we move into other areas of the body, and we teach you how to pack wounds because some areas on the body you can't get a tourniquet, but you still need to stop that bleeding. So we teach you how to pack those wounds. We have a uh, wound trainer that we use. It's very realistic and has some fake blood and stuff in there. So it's like a fake high knee, right? Yes, yes. it is. <laughs> and uh, Fake fleshy part. That, that helps people understand how real this could be without stressing them out too much. And then we also talk about chest seals and what to do with areas on the body 
in the lungs and the abdominal cavity and how to treat those injuries. I will tell you, I had an incident shortly after this active shooter training. It wasn't an active shooter situation, but we had a pretty severe car accident in front of our facility. And Chad and Andy had, had given us these packets, these little kits that had a tourniquet in them and um, gauze and a whole bunch of, of stuff. And honestly, this, this car accident happened. A baby boy was being pulled out of a vehicle, um, bloody, and it, it was really scary. And the first thing I grabbed was my active was my little kit, my active shooter kit. I didn't know if someone needed a tourniquet. I didn't know what they needed. We ended up ripping it open and using just gauze and, and bandages, but, but we were ready. And I, I mean, I have, I have one in each of my cars and I just feel really serious about having those just, and you guys have even talked about how in specific car accidents, those little kits that you guys gave us saved lives, right? They have already. We, we have, and that was the, when we started the business, we wanted to have these type of testimonies, you know, not from a horrific event, but from the training being used on something like this. And I think now we're up to five uh, of our students that have gone through our training has utilized the medical training to save someone's life, either in car accidents, um, an industrial accident, or a boating accident has been used to, to, to save someone's life. That's awesome. So I think we could talk forever, right? And I think we could talk about this topic forever. Your training is so different. Um, HR folks, this is not a sponsor of uh, Survive HR, but they are friends of Survive HR. So I'm not getting paid to say this, but I am telling you that this is the best training I've ever done as it relates to active shooter. Um, by far, they travel everywhere. Um, this this training was just incredible. So I would highly, highly encourage this for everyone. I think we're going to do a series. We just, we just kind of decided we were going to do a series um, on this um, – on this topic and other topics, tell us what else you guys can talk to us about. One of the things specifically for HR is how do you create a termination hearing evaluation policy that makes sure that you are taking some very simple steps to ensure that in one of those most serious encounters that you are safe and the people in your facility are safe. And then also we can talk to you about creating a threat assessment team so that whoever it is that is in HR that gets this information does not bear that responsibility solely on their shoulders as evaluating when do we go to the cops? When do we terminate this person? When do we take the next step in this? But now we have a team that listens objectively and comes up with a decision on how we move forward from there. That is all fascinating stuff. I'm very much looking forward to December when you come record with us again. Be a blast for us. That's great. And, I, hey, I do want to thank our sponsors of the show today, yes. which is Hainsworth, Sinclair, and Boy. Yes, thank them very, very much. Um, but, again, Chad, Andy, thanks so much for being with us today. Such a pleasure talking to you guys. And uh, HR folks listening out there, call them Proactive Response Group. Where can we find you guys? So you can get us on the website, uh, proactiverg.com. So that's Proactive Response Group. Or you can call us, uh, 888-512-3530. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you.